Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're continuing our series on James Cameron. Uh, today we're talking about aliens. Well, that's great. That's just fucking great, man. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty shit now, man. You finished? I guess we're not going to be leaving now, right? I'm sorry, Newt. You don't have to be sorry. It wasn't your fault. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? We better get back, because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly. This is a science fiction action thriller horror film directed by James Cameron. The cast includes Dr. Grace Augustine, literally only Newt, Kyle Reese, Paul Butchman, Bill Harding, a S.H.I.E.L.D. lieutenant, Kyle Reese's foster mom, and General Tudor. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon. I'm currently still on my YouTube purge, so I'm not even going on there as it, uh, to watch movies. Wow. I'm using the other streaming services. Okay, now that is true discipline that's right uh let's begin our conversation about aliens by recapping the events in this movie with a synopsis that you wrote yourself so uh get us started 57 years after defeating an extraterrestrial beast of unbelievable horror ellen ripley and her cat jones have been finally rescued from cryosleep and debriefed on their daring escape Unfortunately, the company, for which Ripley is still ostensibly employed, doesn't really care about the danger she is warning them about. Instead, they are more concerned with the loss of property she had a hand in. Self-destructing a multi-million dollar vessel comes with some raised eyebrows. Ripley is content to live out the rest of her natural life as a dockhand, until a company man named Carter Burke offers her a chance to go back to the planet she escaped and wipe out the xenomorphs, which is what the aliens are called, once and for all. LV-426, the planet in question, is in the process of being terraformed and colonized, but contact with the colony has gone silent and everyone fears the worst. A group of colonial marines, Burke and Ripley, are sent to investigate. When they arrive, they find no one, just tanks with alive alien facehuggers and evidence of a desperate last stand. Eventually, they do discover a young girl named Newt, who has been hiding in the vents and walls and witnessed the entire colony being torn apart by aliens. Further investigation reveals an alien nest, where the colonists have been cocooned to the walls and left as living vessels for the aliens to breed inside of. The marines are ambushed by aliens. They engage in a desperate fight, but many of the marines are killed and take only a couple of the xenomorphs with them. In the midst, the Marine Lieutenant loses his grip and Ripley takes control of the crew. Once they escape the aliens, Ripley suggests they leave the planet and nuke the colony from orbit. Burke hates the idea, citing the price of the facility. The other Marines agree with Ripley. But when they call for their transport, there is an alien on board. It kills the pilot and the whole thing explodes in a huge rolling fireball, spraying metal shrapnel everywhere. Ripley gathers the remaining marines and assembles a plan. They send Bishop, the android, to crawl through a tiny tube to the landing platform, 
From there, he will remote pilot the backup space helicopter to their location. Everyone else will seal off all points of entry to the med lab and the operations center in order to keep the aliens from sneaking up on them. One of the Marines teaches Ripley how to use a gun. Ripley and Newt attempt to sleep in the med lab, but are awakened by weird noises. Two of the facehuggers have gotten out of their tubes and are attempting to latch themselves to the pair of humans. Ripley's gun has been moved from her side to outside the med lab, and the doors are locked. She sets off the fire alarm and struggles against the aliens until help arrives. After blasting the nasty little creatures, Ripley accuses Burke of trapping her and Newt in the room with the facehuggers. But before they decide what to do, aliens start dropping from the ceiling. The crew runs and shoots for their lives, but they can't escape the xenomorphs. Only Ripley, Newt, and one Marine survive. But then... Newt gets separated and grabbed by an alien. The last Marine gets sprayed with an alien's acidic blood and is injured. The only one left is Ripley. Ripley and the Marine reach the landing pad where Bishop has successfully landed the transport. But Ripley goes back into the facility to find Newt. The whole place is rigged to blow in only 15 minutes, so she has to move fast. Ripley finds Newt and guns down a facehugger before it could latch itself to the young girl. On their way out, they stumble upon a field of eggs and the most monstrous alien we have seen yet, the Alien Queen. Ripley uses her flamethrower to destroy the eggs and escapes up an elevator. She jumps on board Bishop's space helicopter and they successfully make it back to the spaceship. But it's not over yet. As they are celebrating their close call, Bishop is ripped in half. The Xenomorph Queen hid in the landing gear and is on board the ship. Ripley distracts it to keep it from eating Newt and gets into a motorized mech suit used for moving heavy things around the loading dock. She and the Queen spar and Ripley sends the alien into the airlock and out into space. Ripley, Newt, and their last Marine enter peaceful cryosleep for the long journey home. The end. There you have it. The events of Aliens will begin our analysis by going over our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about Aliens? I'm going to say it here a bunch of times, and I'm going to say it a bunch of times later. Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, as many times as I can say it. She's amazing. The action is incredible. The action is meaningful, suspenseful, satisfying, gripping. It just doesn't get better than this, folks. Um, it's an improvement in every single way upon the original Alien, which honestly I think is a very good movie. Um, so it's really a testament to this one that it's, a, it's even better than that one. All of our characters feel real and unique. There's so much attention to detail that really draw me deeper and deeper in. And there's some deeply buried themes that I just want to uproot and examine very closely. What about you? What did you like about Aliens? I echo your praise of Sigourney Weaver. She is amazing. And even though there are a lot of great cast members in this movie, she shines far and above as the, as the main attraction. Uh, this movie is really well written and well executed. Uh, I watched the, uh, the special edition and I feel like there's a couple scenes where I was like, okay, this, this has got to be the special edition. Like there's a part where when they first get into the base, they're like, I've got motion on the motion sensor. And they like go into a room and it's literally hamsters on the ground. And they're like, oh, that's nothing. You know, but I was like, why did this make it into the movie? But pretty much everything else that I read was only in the special edition. I was like, that needed to be in there. And it, and it, and it makes the movie even better. Uh, 
it just this movie is just really well put together um and we can talk about the differences and the in the two cuts of the film a little bit later but um it's just really well executed great setups and payoffs this movie is scary the i'll never forget the first time i saw an alien pop out of someone's stomach uh which was the first time i saw it was in the first one but they bring it back in such a great way when you see the person who's like kill me oh that was seared into my memory horrific uh in like such a great way uh iconic portrayal of space marines honestly i i I don't know because it's hard to know something like this in like retrospect but i feel like the marines in halo the halo series are basically just derivative of the space marines in aliens <laughs> from like sergeant apone is sergeant johnson or vice versa i should say um all the way down to chomping on the cigar uh you know while, while like oh my every gosh. moment when he gets of out the of cryo sleep and he has a cigar in his hand <laughs> amazing uh, so i i think it's great they did, they did such a good job of portraying like it was just memorable the portrayal um we also have a great mix of action and horror uh you know this movie uh is de- like does action really well but like we were just saying it's super scary it does what a sequel should do which is build off the original and make it bigger and better uh, i think it's easy to get cynical about sequels in the cash grab era that we're in where sequels are completely unjustified and end up being so bad that they tarnish the first one in a lot of cases but this is how sequels should be done, which is something I'm noticing that uh, James Cameron does really, really well. And uh, finally, this movie is just freaking cool, dude. Like, I haven't felt this way about a movie, honestly, in a while where it's like, I want to, I wanted to like dress up like a space marine and like run around in the dark with like a flashlight <laughs> or something after watching this movie. Like, I was just so excited so uh they they, that's it really made me feel like a kid again uh the the way this movie made me feel so that that was awesome uh so but it can't be all good right joey we gotta have some some cons some criticism so what did you not like about aliens i i'm sort of lukewarm on this uh con but i think there's not enough aliens or maybe maybe more specifically you never get a good look at an alien besides the alien queen um i know that there's a lot of limitations when this movie was made in 1984 but um the fact that it was there's so much about it that's that's really really good and the only thing that feels like it's missing is like a really clear shot of an alien um and you get some good pieces of it some quick shots of it but it's never really that clear um so i i would i think i would that's something i was missing um and yes just some of the special effects just don't look as good there's a lot of green screen effects that just look like yeah you know <laughs> this was done today you probably could do a lot better um and as uh as a stated allegory for vietnam i only have to say yeesh <laughs> and we'll get we'll get more into that a little bit later as well because uh i honestly had no idea this movie had any connections with vietnam uh which might say more about me than it does about the film but uh we'll uh we'll get into that more about the american education system than about you <laughs> uh sure I'll, I'll definitely pass the blame on to somebody else um but my i only have one con uh I'm a, I'm a little lukewarm on it as well i was a little disappointed with the way they did the airlock at the end to kill the the queen because in the first alien they treat the airlock how you probably would need to treat the airlock in real space which is like if you're not strapped down you're flying out of the airlock yeah, and yeah. in this one she's just holding on tighter than the alien like uh i kind of like i love that they ended it with the airlock again but it would have been nice if she had like been able to clip herself to something or, or and then be like 
you know, uh, right, right. you're terminated and then like hit the, <laughs> hit the button to open the door or something. Uh, so it was, uh, but I that's a super like nitpicky thing to, to not like I'm sending you into otherwise. the abyss. Exactly. I, yeah. Okay. Another great reference. Um, uh, but uh, I really don't have that much negative to say because I think this movie is great. Uh, and let's talk about, uh, some more about this movie. So Joey, get us into our overall section. We really are just hitting the highlights of cinema with this, with this series. We are spoiled by James Cameron. We do not deserve James Cameron. Please give me more James Cameron. <laughs> um, let, let's start with how this movie is better in every way than the original Alien. And Benjamin, please feel free to jump in if you have any other comparisons. Yeah, yeah. I think the comparison is not perfect, right? Alien, the original, is clearly a horror movie with sci-fi elements where Aliens is an action movie with horror elements. In many ways, Alien is an exploration of the alien and sorts of, sort of sits in reverence to that creature. Aliens doesn't have any of that same respect. Um, the aliens do surprising things, but they are blown apart by our weapons with little issue. Instead, Aliens is more of a celebration of Ripley, and it focuses on her, and I think that choice alone is such a brilliant move because it shows... James Cameron's ability to tap into what makes audiences like movies, which is focusing on people and heroes. Um, Aliens is first and foremost an action movie, um, and there are clearly you know bits of horror in it, but it never really reaches the levels of suspense that Alien does with its slow, methodical pacing, lingering on elaborate settings. Um, I watched Alien for the first time for this podcast, uh, you know, in order to prepare better for this one. I had seen Aliens. Um, on TV a long time ago, but uh, it's, I'd never seen any parts of Alien. I just knew about it. But to me, I really liked Alien, but it felt, compared to this movie, it feels like a screen test almost. It's like an experiment of, like, here's a, here's a concept. Here's an Alien concept. Um, and, and Aliens feels like they are really, like, uh, upping the game and making it into a movie yeah i also i also watched alien for the first time in preparation of this podcast and uh it I, it I love when a movie like that still stands out in a way similar to probably how it felt when it first came out because alien is oh, so patient with itself it allows you to linger on these sets where there's not even anybody in the set it's just observing kind of a still silent place where something will probably happen later on in the film but you're just gathering context with your eyes and uh it, it i appreciated that about it uh it was a little bit tedious at times that it was so slow paced um right. but i think there is something to be said about a movie that allows its uh the suspense to build in the way that alien does um and it's uh, while I didn't enjoy it as I, I, I think there's something to be said for that. It's like a flavor or, or, you know, something that some people might enjoy more than others. I like the pacing of aliens a little bit more, uh, because there's a lot more action, a little bit less downtime yes. in between things that happen. I can't imagine what it would be like to watch either of these movies in theaters, uh, just, uh, to see alien for the first time, right. And not know what the xenomorph looks like or have like an idea of what this thing is and just like learning more and more about the, uh, how terrifying this creature is. Um, yeah, it would totally scar me. It'd be like, Oh my gosh, this thing is terrifying. <laughs> it, it really, the thing I appreciate the most about alien is that uh, and the design of the xenomorph is it really did feel like an attempt to make something as terrifying as possible. Um, and 
I don't know if that's really true, right? Maybe there's some scientific way of doing it. But from an artist's perspective, I think you can make a really good case that the alien, the xenomorph, is one of the most terrifying concepts. And um, I really do love that, um, like, kind of deep dive into that. Um, yeah, and like and knowing yeah. about the xenomorph before watching the movie Alien is kind of cheat codes against getting the full force terror of right. re- the reveal that the face hugger plants a alien inside of you that is going to tear its way out oh my, it was oh my still gosh. just surprising when and scary when Kane but... is laying there and the the things on his face and he's just like still breathing yes and it's just like it's so horrible it's like what is happening right now and, and everyone's just standing around confused and you, I, I can't imagine like you must feel exactly the same way like i know it's going to happen i you know i know this i know it's going to occur next but it's still like to, just to, to to imagine that this thing is gonna is gonna to destroy you in such a way i mean just to the personification of the unknown and the alien in that way is so um so brilliant um yeah it, it's, it's another thing okay we're not gonna do 10 minutes on on alien but um <laughs> one other thing i want to mention is that it's really fun tracing the um inspiration for films backwards because uh, Alien was clearly inspired, and I read this too, by 2001 A Space Odyssey, with its slow methodical pacing, the shots of the spaceship, even the, the computer that's like, uh, you know, working against the people on, on board, right? Um, that's all straight from 2001. Um, the shots of the, of the spaceship from the outside and just the kind of general design of it, all of that felt very much like 2001. And then uh, aliens, James Cameron said if one of his biggest inspirations was Starship Troopers. He said all of the Marines had to watch Starship Troopers before they came to the to be on set, um, which is hilarious because they are so much like Starship Troopers. They're wearing the fun things. They're doing all the military stuff. Um, James Cameron loves the uh, military. It's so funny watching them, like them go through all the exercises and like saying all the lingo and everything. It's just like five minutes of them just explaining what they're going to do and then doing it. Um, The first thing I did when I finished this movie, well, maybe not the first thing I did, but when I started going back to rewatch scenes, I went straight to the scene where the Marines are basically rolling out where they're like, like bunch of badasses. Let's load (laughs) them up. You know, combat positions. It's like, Oh, dude, this is so badass. Yeah. It's so fun. So, but, but you know, I'm a, I feel really bad for Ridley Scott. I feel bad for anyone whose like next step in making a movie is giving it to James Cameron because <laughs> like <laughs> it must be a terrible experience because Alien and Aliens follow a very very similar structure. But the character moments in Alien are richer. The dialogue is snappier. The direction and pacing are more engaging. The threat is bigger and the victory is just more complete. Um Simply upgrading from a little orange cat to a, a little girl is such a stroke of genius. It gives Ripley so much to do. It feeds into the central themes of the movie, which is about motherhood and femininity. And Newt brings this situation into starker relief and uh, elevates the threat significantly. Um, you know, it's not just like, you know, aliens or other creatures that are in danger. It's actual humans. Newt's family has been killed. Um, but, you know, at the, at the same time, uh, if Newt dies, there's only really one conclusion, which is that it's all Ripley's fault. She's the one who found her. She's the one who said, you'll be safe with me. So if she gets captured and you know eaten by aliens, Ripley, sorry about that. It's going to be you. Now, now this is interesting um, because in the uh, extended cut, there's, uh, or sorry, special edition. The, the, the terminology is actually really important when it comes to this. Oh, okay. But the special edition, 
there's a scene where after she wakes up, Ripley is sitting in a park and she's looking out at the sky and she's, you know, seemingly on a planet, but then the, the camera pans and you see that she's in a virtual park. She's sitting in like a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but like a, a little uh, area where there's plants and the, the park that she's in is actually on a screen. So it's like, to, it, it like reveals the facade that she's still in space and, and it's, it, she's not on this planet. And then she finds out that her daughter who was like 10 or 11 when she originally left on the mission uh, that she went on in alien, uh, her daughter is just died like two months ago of old wow. age because Dang. because Ripley was gone the whole time so she has to confront the fact that she she said that she'd be back in time for like her daughter's 11th birthday or something and that was the last thing she said to her daughter who is now dead and uh so she missed out on being a mother and this works so well with the introduction of Newt because now Ripley has another opportunity to be a mother and I you're exactly right if Newt dies, it is totally Ripley's fault. So this is a test or, or it's like an opportunity for her to overcome this grief where she was like, I failed as a mother because I didn't get a chance to actually be there for my daughter. But it's like, eh, it's kind of not your fault. You got attacked by aliens and, and you know, the whole plot of Alien 1 happened. But now here's your second chance. Will right. you fail or will you actually be a great mother? So I, and, I and love that. A new, a new mother in a new situation in her new life, right? Yeah. Where she is the expert on these xenomorphs and she has to save her family, her adopted family from them. Yeah, it's 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 really good. And and the fact that Newt can talk is so much better than having a cat, you know? As much as like I'm I'm a new cat dad. I you know I just had a cat move in with me. So I I, I as um as uh, Ripley was running around the, with the cat and, and aliens, I was like, or an alien, I was like, look, look, that's you. Are you a spaceship cat? <laughs> like, she's saving the cat. And then when she drops him, I'm like, no, no, I thought you were going to save the cat. I, I honestly was so perplexed that the cat played such a big part in the first alien. I could not figure out why the cat mattered that much. I, I was expecting the cat to do something in the end to like defeat right, right. the alien. The cat steps on like a button and shoots the alien out of the lock. But uh, I was happy that it, another way that this is a good sequel is they didn't make the, they didn't force the cat to have a good like role. They were like, yeah. hey, look, everybody, the cat is back. And uh, that's it. You're not coming because that doesn't make <laughs> any right. sense. Like, You're staying here. Would you do it for like a kitty snack? You know. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, <sighs> other things that this movie improves on from the original. A major part of the original Alien story was the plight of the workers at the hands of the vast and uncaring corporation. This is taken to the next level in Aliens. Burke, as the company's representative, personifies his employer's uh, values. He's willing to do anything and sacrifice everyone to make a profit. Uh, to make a profit. And Ripley says this to him. You know, Burke, I don't know which species is worse. You don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage kind of reshaping the narrative here right this is no longer humans versus nature this is humans against human nature you might say um uh, this again is a really so great nod to the, the original we have a traitor in the crew someone whose loyalties lie with a faceless company instead of his fellow humans um just like ash in the original uh, he suffers the same fate as almost everyone else except his death is perhaps karmic um, but this entire mission including bringing the marines and ripley 
is another attempt to do the same thing, to gather alien specimens to be used as weapons. Um, and yeah, I, I want to talk about this a lot more uh, later, so we'll get to that. But the, the alien queen, the, the, the phrase, I, I, I don't want to say this because it sounds so cringy, but the phrase that keeps coming to mind is... Um, James Cameron's like, hold my beer. Uh, the alien queen <laughs> feels like James Cameron is showing off. It's like he said, you think your aliens are scary? You think this is intimidating? You guys haven't seen anything yet. It's, the alien queen is bigger. It's badder. It's blacker. It's got way more operators than your typical alien. It's got like 14 <laughs> to 16. It's the only alien you really get a good look at. And it's, it, the thing is so terrifying. It's one thing to be like, what if there were more aliens? It's something way more impressive to construct a new expanded lore for your movie monster that complements the original while building on your movie's central con- conceits. Just masterful. Amazing. Chef's kiss. Ah, amazing. Yes, I, I totally agree. That, like, in a movie that ends up being so much about motherhood, you, like having our two mothers go toe-to-toe at the end feels so right um and i will never forget the sound that it made when a grenade launcher grenade splashed into her egg sack and like (laughs) ripped a hole in the side of it unbelievable that scene also seared into my memory um but like kind of on this same topic of james cameron being incredible at making sequels there are so many ways that alien like aliens is to alien as terminator 2 judgment day is to terminator uh like we talked about earlier alien is mostly a space thriller but aliens has thriller aspects but it goes so much deeper and contains way more in the way of themes on motherhood corporate greed humanity uh like terminator 1 was mostly like a thriller where it's like monster like monster chasing protagonists will they survive who will die along the way uh, terminator 2 a lot, added a lot more to that then uh obviously the special effects look better that's the same thing in a, a probably more extreme case between terminator 1 and terminator 2 then uh in terminator or sorry in aliens uh or an alien we had a robot that ended up uh who was a bad guy right who betrayed them and he was definitely a bad guy and then right. in aliens we had a similar uh, android, a robot, who ended up being a good guy. So just like how Arnold was the bad guy in the first one, he was That's a good right. guy in the second one. It's amazing. <laughs> then uh, another way it's similar is that we just had Kyle Reese in both series. Okay. So there's something that... Time traveling of... Kyle Reese impregnating people throughout time in, his, in, in space. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then uh, we also had uh, the ways that the, the endings were similar because Alien ends with a self-destructing uh, you know, structure, spaceship that you leave. You think that it's over, but then it's not. And then it's, uh, there's a, like a supplemental uh, thing that happens on a different, in a different place. The same thing happens uh, in uh, Terminator where they have like the uh, explosion truck. You think it's over and then you have to end it actually in a f- industrial factory. Uh, and then we also have, uh, there was only one Terminator in the first Terminator and there's more than one Terminator in the second one. And in this one, we only <laughs> had one Xenomorph and alien. <laughs> we have more than one Xenomorph and aliens. Um, and then finally, the last thing I'll say to, to connect these, uh, two franchises together is that 
the second, the sequel adds a kid who absolutely nails it and really powerfully delivers on the parenting theme, uh, which is also yes. present in both films. So uh, in, in the best ways possible, a- uh, Aliens does what Terminator 2 Judgment Day did, and it's fantastic. Two great sequels. Even more of a similarity between the two kids um, in, in both Terminator 2 and Aliens, Carrie Henn um this was her first and only acting job and they just picked her up at a school essentially they like james cameron's <laughs> like i want someone who doesn't have any uh any pre- previous experience and so they found carrie hen and asked her if she wanted to be a movie and then she said yes which is identical to what happened to er- edward furlong he was like outside of a school or something they're like hey kid you want to be in a movie and he's like i don't know <laughs> what's a movie <laughs> I mean, it gets results. James Cameron knows what he's doing. James Cameron knows how to pick up children. <laughs> There's one thing that can be said. It's that. Well, it's not. I mean, yeah, I guess explicitly it wasn't him. It was it was other people that were the casting directors that were finding these kids. But yeah, he, finding kids with no previous experience uh, to play his kids in the movies apparently works really well. All right. So we talked for how long has it been? 30 minutes or 30 so. Minutes. <laughs> but let's stop beating around the bush. Let's talk about what this movie is really about. This is a story about the dangers of messing with forces outside of your control. It is humans versus nature, but it's not just any humans or humans in general. Specifically, it is about the dangers of capitalism messing with forces outside of its control. The company is not looking to expand human knowledge or improve the lives of its patrons, both causes that even if stated, I'd be skeptical of. It is looking to make a profit. This is what Burke cites over and over as his reasoning. Look, those two specimens are worth millions to the bioweapons division, right? Now, if you're smart, we can both come out of this heroes and we will be set up for life. You're crazy, Bert. Do you know that? Do you really think you can get a dangerous organism like that past ICC quarantine? How can they impound it if they don't know about it? But they will know better, Burke. For me. And it's not just to, you know, getting rich by making some sort of medicine or something explicitly life-saving, right? They're not studying the aliens in order to become, you know, more resilient. They are, uh, they're doing this because they want to make better weapons. Which brings me to my second point. Whose mission is this? Sure, there are colonists that may or may not need saving, but whose colony is it? Whose technology is terraforming the planet? Who knew about this planet and its potential dangers before anyone else? The answer to all these questions is the company. So why are Marines, with American patches on them, going to solve the company's problems? The same reason the U.S. perpetuated a war in Afghanistan for 20 years. The military exists to serve the needs of capital. When the company says jump, the military says how high. And can you really argue that the Marines sent their best to save these people? It's a small troop, many of them openly insubordinate. (laughs) Their commanding officer was a green lieutenant with very little real-world experience. They were fodder for the aliens, potential vessels for Burke to transport aliens inside of. Over and over again, authority fails in Alien and Aliens. The ship's computer in Alien, called Mother, is supposed to provide solutions to any problem, but Mother has an agenda of its own. It was instructed to bring back a xenomorph at any cost. In Aliens, first, Lieutenant Gorman displays his incompetence and inability to control his troops, and eventually freezes in a time of crisis, forcing Ripley to take control. 
A concussion later officially relieves him of duty, and that is when he performs his most heroic act, not when he is in a position of authority. Although Hudson, who is next in line, does pull his crew together, it is uh, Ripley, a civilian, who is in charge. And Hudson is basically just a grunt. His authority comes from demonstration in the line of duty, not a degree or fancy appointment. Likewise, Burke, the company man, appeals to their overlords, their employer, but he cannot be trusted. And like Mother and Alien, the company's understanding of the situation is insignificant at best and anti-human at worst. All authority in Aliens is suspect, unless that authority is earned through demonstrating extreme competence in a crisis. The heroes of Alien and Aliens are ordinary people, asteroid miners and dock workers, privates and corporals. People who are forced to take on dangerous jobs to survive and aren't necessarily told why they are doing them. Ripley defeats the biggest, scariest alien, not with bureaucratic might, a stern word, or official ruling, nor does she use any of the military's weapons. She uses the tool of the workplace. The mech suit sounds really cool, but it's painted in high-vis yellow and has a big spinning light on top of it. (laughs) It's basically just a giant forklift. It is something the Marines and the company men like Burke would, could not use. It represents the power of the proletariat, not just their resourcefulness, but the raw might they contain, the, poor, the pure power the workers of the universe hold within their grasp. Further, by placing the climax of the movie, and the climax of Terminator 2, too, in an industrial <laughs> setting, not in a stuffy boardroom, not in the med lab or in a planet surface, Cameron seems to be hinting at where the true battle of our lives will take place. That is on the factory floor, in the workplace. This is where we will make our last stand against all that seek to destroy us. When every other institution has failed or betrayed us, it will be those with access to raw power that will stand against unleashed hell and achieve victory for all humankind. Wow. That's why I like having these discussions with you, Joey, because you're able to (laughs) suss these kinds of things out. Uh, But it's so true. The greed of the corporation is... It's, it's not like literally as dangerous as the aliens, but it's like the catalyst. It's the thing that when combined with proximity to the aliens spells doom for our characters. Uh, you, I, um, it was so frustrating to me when I started watching aliens because I'm actually not sure if the, I think this is also a special edition thing, but d- was there a scene where she's getting like, basically it's her court hearing about, uh, what happened in alien, like where they're talking about how they're going to take away her, uh, uh, like licensed to be a pilot uh i can't remember exactly they have a like a debriefing session where she's like in a meeting room and she's like, trying to explain to them what happened yeah and like all okay. that stuff but i don't that, remember if they said anything about her like taking or, or uh stuff away but anyway that's, but, in the, but that's that basically in that scene i was so frustrated because like wait a second this doesn't make any sense how can they say that her self-destruction uh, or like her destroying that ship is suspect in any way wouldn't they know that the alien was there that it wasn't her fault and then it's like oh yeah i forgot they wanted the alien to be the only one that survived they wanted right. the alien to make it back and she thwarted that so of course they're not going to admit that <laughs> they're going to say that she's lying so that they can continue to, to go after that because it's not about the truth. It's not about preserving anything about their actual human crew. It's all about, uh, you know, their next uh, source of profit. Right. And they're, you know, 
it's interesting to see like this is attempt number two to to do the, what they were trying to do in the first one right they said okay we'll send these guys down to that planet they'll pick up an alien and we'll bring it back they're not realizing exactly what they were playing with um and then in the second one it's the same kind of thing we're okay well it didn't really work for the colonists so we'll just uh we'll try again with something up with another crew you know we'll get we'll you know, kill two birds with one stone, quite literally. We'll send Ripley down there, and then our only witness will also be uh, out of the question. But there's no, there's no need to be honest with the people that they're sending, you know, to their deaths, because why would that benefit them, right? And that, I think that's the thing that I find very frustrating whenever I have conversations about this in real life, is that can't you tell that this is where, this is the only path forward, right? We do have protections for you know, people in, in uh, real life, you know, in, in America, even which you know, uh, pretends to be a free market society. We do have a lot of like worker protections still, maybe not as many as we'd like, but uh, something like this would never happen. But if you have a corporation that seems to be running the entire show, the only authority we, we know about, right? There are other ones mentioned about, you know, ICC or whatever, and some sort of international customs or scientific protocols or whatever. But uh, none of those are shown to have any sort of power, um, not in the face when the, with, not when the company is faced with a decision that would say either benefit themselves or do the right thing, right? And Whenever I have it, whenever I'm thinking about this, I'm like, well, obviously this is where this would go. This would, if you, if your only incentive is profit, then this is the kind of decision you would make. You would say, oh, well, human lives aren't as important. You know, we can make more humans. We'll always be more humans that we can send into the fire. So we can just send them out there and it doesn't matter uh, what happens as long as we get what we want. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's greed, but it's something more than that, right? It's just a disregard for like uh, human life. Um, it, it's, it's like this irony of like, uh, what if we kill ourselves because that'd be more profitable. Um, but like not thinking who's going to spend the money if we're all dead. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, as I was thinking about this movie, I was, I kind of came to this, uh, you know, kind of conclusion that you either, you're either doing one of two things. You're either killing yourself or helping others. There's no in-between, right? You either are doing one of those two things. And um, with, with the, the, the irony being that when you help others, you're also helping yourself. And uh, when you are attempting to kill other people, you're really only killing yourself. Interesting. So, so hold on, elaborate on that a little bit more. So you're just saying in general or like... What, yeah, we, so uh, well, making making a wide decision like this, right? About uh, like when the, when the company says, we're going to get some aliens uh, over here so we can make better weapons, right? What is the goal beyond profit, right? It's to sell weapons of mass destruction and death, right? Which is going to kill other people and other people, uh, you know, that, that, there's no way that Foucault's boomerang doesn't come back to hit you, you know, right straight in the forehead. There's no way that people won't use that to eventually ag against you. And so essentially by introducing this horror into the world, you have doomed yourself to die by it. Right, um, okay. And if you don't do that, right, if you were, if you were in Ripley's uh, you know, state of mind and, and you said, let's help these people, let's move on from that, right? In her pursuit to help Newt, 
Newt is part of the reason why they survive. You know, she's part of the, the, the reason why they're able to get out of there is because of the knowledge that she has. So by reaching out to other people and saying, let's help as many people as we can, you end up saving yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's really powerful. Honestly, if I... It's obvious that this company is supposed to be like uh, capitalism pilled to the max where there's right, there's right. no uh, you know thought of that and it which is great to put up against the aliens because they're so grotesque and terrifying and multiply so quickly that obviously they're an infestation and the only logical option is to nuke them from orbit right uh, but obviously that's the contra- that's something that doesn't come about because of the company. I would do it well, in that's a heartbeat. Another, that's man. another thing that's like that's interesting about this, right? Is that uh, you know we don't know what the extent or the scope of the company's resources are, but we can sort of assume they're unlimited. And what that means is that if you have all these resources, eventually you will succeed. Eventually, you'll get what you want because you can just keep trying over and over again until you get it better, to get it right. You know, and that we've seen that actually happen in real life. The Coke industries, the Coketopus, as Jane Mayer calls it in Dark Money, um, uh, they had explicit goals to influence education, influence the law, um, and influence like what's you know what is essentially reality, and they um, are agreed upon reality, and they were able to succeed on that. And it's not necessarily because they were smarter or they were more ruthless, right? They had the idea for sure, but they just had unlimited resources. They could spend as much money as they wanted doing it for as long as possible. It took them a really long time. They ran into all sorts of problems, but, and, you know, people don't like it, but they still did it. They were able to do it. So like, what's to stop them from doing this again and again and again and again, right? There's no reason why they couldn't just keep trying, um, basically. Well, unless they're, uh, the workers the system, that make up the system revolt unless the system itself changes right unless the incentive structure is forced to change and it no longer is profitable to simply be profitable yeah yeah no, it's, <laughs> it's it's uh yeah there's a lot to this movie i think there is i think it's it's like it's 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 hidden in there right but it's all part of its central message it's sending this clear story about where you should put your trust and who's who a hero is right and i think that sort of thing gets coded in people um whether they realize it or not it's so, uh like yeah to see it. it's absolutely and again it's another situation where alien did it first and aliens really brings it to a like it it, it culminates in a very satisfying way because even in alien we had the blue collar members of the crew who were arguing this isn't fair how come we yep. get a smaller share of the profits for the same mission that you guys get and then that's brought up again once the shit hits the fan and they're like yeah this really doesn't make any sense because we're all gonna die and i still get my little piece of the pie versus your big one uh, like yeah make sense of that Exactly. And that's like a, um, I think that's, it's funny to think about like, like what is James Cameron's, um, like, uh, actual beliefs here, right? Is he just taking what Ridley Scott put into the original alien and then taking it to its natural conclusion, which is the rise of the worker? Or is it that he actually believes that this is the way things go, um, or should go? I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll have to watch more movies to find out. Let's do it. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs>
all right well i think we're ready to move on to our cool easter eggs uh so go ahead joy what you got Okay, so the the alien was designed by a artist, surrealist artist from Switzerland named H.R. Geiger, um, who created what became the on-screen xenomorph um, in 1976. There was a painting titled Necronoma, Necronom uh, 4, I believe. I found this on Artnet News. Um, apparently, he never <laughs> felt like he got the uh, credibility that he wanted or the credit that he wanted um, from for this, but he is responsible for the entire life cycle of the alien. Um, so you would, the whole concept of it um, was was his idea, uh, and then put to film by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott commissioned him to make this. Um, and if you look at some of his artwork, um, it does. You can see that the ship and like the like the especially the alien ship and the alien itself is very much in his style with this kind of. I, I think I heard it described as biomechanical. Um, so it's like sort of, uh, got metal elements, but it's got like ribs and, um, you know, structure to it that looks like organic, um, which, you know, the, the aliens, uh, ship and everything, I mean, it looks so amazing in both these movies. Um, it's really unique and stands out. And, uh, if you see other things like it, it, it definitely calls to alien. Um, it, there's nothing else quite like it. And, um, I've also, there's a little tidbit at the end of this Artnet article about how because of the rise of AI art, people are able to better copy Geiger's work, but they, that, you know, people like Geiger are the reason why we have such interesting and unique, um, like stylistic choices to draw from in our, uh, current reality. Pretty cool. Um, so Cameron, uh, filmed this in a, uh, studio in Pinewood, which was in Britain. Um, and he apparently had a lot of trouble with the crew there. Uh, he was used to, um, the non-unionized American workers. Um, but this was a unionized crew and he called them lazy and incompetent. Um, and he hated that they would take, uh, I think it was like an hour long tea break in the middle of the day. Um, <laughs> and, uh, eventually they had to compromise on that and he gave them back the tea break. But, um, I, I, when he wrapped, when he finally wrapped up at Pinewood, Cameron stood up to re- address the crew. And he said this, this has been a long and difficult shoot fraught by many problems. But the one thing that kept me going through it all was the certain knowledge that one day I would drive out the gate of Pinewood and never come back and you sorry bastards would still be here. And he never did return. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is reported from Slash Film and it's an excerpt from The Futurist, The Life and Films of James Cameron, which is a book that came out recently, which I'm very interested in. Um, another interesting behind the scenes thing is uh, with, in an interview with Movie Phone, uh, Sigourney Weaver said that each time one of the actors was to die, uh, their character was to die, she would gift them a bouquet of flowers before filming began. And when it came for Paul Reiser, who it played uh, Burke, to be killed, he gave, she gave him a handful of dead blossoms, uh, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Uh, really r- r- nice little tidbit, little, nice little, uh, um, bit there character building from Scorny weaver um al matthews who plays um uh sorry what's his name uh the uh, uh sergeant apone yes uh so al matthews who plays sergeant apone um was the first black marine sergeant ever um promoted to that position in the u.s and he was promoted while he was serving in vietnam so it wow. is sort of a little um like a little nod to him that he plays a sergeant in this movie as well he plays a damn good one too. Sure does. 
Um, so technically speaking, uh, apparently this is from um, Mashable. Uh, Bill Paxton is one of two actors whose characters met their demise at a Terminator, uh, from a Terminator, a Predator, and a Xenomorph. And Lance Hengerson, who plays uh, Bishop, uh, being the only other one. Um, so pretty cool little accolade there from Bill Paxton. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one other thing, this is also a Lance Hengerson, uh, Bishop, uh, a little um, Easter egg here, which I thought uh, really tickled me. That could never happen now with our behavioral inhibitors. It is impossible for me to harm or by a mission of action allow to be harmed a human being. So he says um, this while he's talking to Ripley because Ripley is, of course, distrustful of him because he's an android. Um, and this is almost verbatim uh, the Asimov's first law of robotics, um, especially the thing that really, uh, you know, puts it into relief was when he says biomission, uh, which is um, base, one of the uh, key corollaries of the first law of, of robotics from Isaac Asimov, which reads, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm, um, which I, I love Asimov. I love the three laws they are so clever. And the more I think about them, the cleverer they get. They really are a, an example of what could be the most basic idea of what morality would be. And, um, and he played all of his stories play with this idea and uh, show the limitations and uh, strange behaviors that occur um, when you are operating under these three laws. So um, pretty cool to see that referenced here in Alien. Definitely. And I, I loved the way that we are introduced to Bishop because it also um, does a good bit of foreshadowing for uh, Hudson. Because what Hudson goes, hey, Bishop, do the knife thing, right? And at this point, we don't know he's an android. So we get this, uh, what ends up being kind of a tense moment where he does the five-finger fillet, and he does it so quick. I, lo- I don't know how they make that look so real, but he's putting the, the knife next to his fingers and going, and he doesn't stab Hudson's hand. But Hudson, who requested that he do the five-finger fillet, gets involved in it and then it starts going and he starts freaking out he's sitting there he starts screaming and uh it's too much for him which is exactly what happens to hudson is on his way down to the planet he's like we're on a one-way ticket we're going our feet first into hell you know and and he's like so macho so over the top and then when the shit gets real you know he's like it's game over man game over and i loved how that was a whole time yeah and that was all kind of captured like uh, uh yeah his whole like character was captured kind of in its essence in that moment where he wanted to see the five finger fillet, but then it was a little too much for him. That's um, funny. So yeah, I, I, this movie is so well put together. Uh, okay. So we talked a little bit about the special edition and I think it's interesting kind of the technicality surrounding the special edition nature of the version of this movie that I watched. So the extended okay. cut of aliens, this is all from the, uh, AVP fandom wiki. Uh, so the extended cut of aliens is officially titled the quote special edition not the director's cut this seems somewhat odd as james cameron has stated numerous times that the longer version of the film is his preferred cut and the version he originally wanted to release in theaters i.e his director's cut the official title is doubly strange when compared with the director's cut of alien which is referred to as such even though director ridley scott has said numerous times that the original theatrical version is in fact his preferred director's cut oh my gosh (laughs) ridley scott and his freaking special editions freaking you know about blade runner right 
about how no. Ridley Scott directed Blade Runner, and there's like ten different versions of the movie. He he like recuts it every four years or something and re-releases it, and each time it's different and more boring. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, <laughs> I I I can't stand it. Anyway, go ahead. Throughout his career, Cameron has repeatedly used the term special edition to refer to the longer alternate versions of his films. A, uh, examples include The Abyss, Terminator 2: Judgment Day, and Avatar. Even though in most of these cases, the longer versions are in fact his original preferred director's cut. And, uh, and then there's more. Sigourney Weaver was furious when she discovered the subplot involving her deceased daughter had been removed from the theatrical release of the film as she considered it to be crucial to her character's development in the movie. And, uh, you know, Sigourney Weaver is spot on here. I think that was a very important detail. And I, I honestly, I think it's very surprising it didn't make it into the theatrical cut. Yeah, well, you know how studios are. They don't care about human emotions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all like, about the money, baby. Yeah, <laughs> as Arnold like said, like only a, a, a what did he say? Like the corporate guy would cut that scene out. You know, that's right. That's uh, right. So, uh, so another thing that, to, that must be discussed when discussing aliens uh, would because is it the second movie in the series or is it the third movie in the series? Because if you search for all of the alien movies, you will certainly come across Alien 2. Uh, in case you haven't heard of it before, uh, Alien 2 is a 1980s science fiction film written by uh, Italian director, uh, written and directed by uh, Italian director Ciro Ippolito. It is a low-budget, unofficial, and unauthorized sequel to the 1979 film Alien, although the plot has little to no connection to the original film. It follows a group of friends as they go caving together, only to come into contact with a voracious alien creature that gestates inside a living human host unwittingly brought to Earth by a doomed human spacecraft. So, wow. yeah, and I, I read the synopsis, and basically it's a bunch of friends that go caving. They find this blue rock, which is essentially an alien egg, and then it attacks their face and knocks them out, and then they, like, come to later, and they, like, seemingly fine, but then the alien busts out of their head uh, and then, like, attacks the other ones. And uh, each kill creates another alien. So wow. unlike face huggers that lead to full-grown xenomorphs, it's like the xenomorph can create more xenomorphs in this version, uh, even though it doesn't look anything like a xenomorph. Uh, and then uh, it eventually kills everyone in the group, except for one person who escapes and makes it back to civilization, only to find that there is no one there. They're like running around like, hey, is anybody here? And like calling and like nothing, nobody's answering. And then on screen it says, now it can hit you too kind of being like oh this is happening in real time in real life and like you're mm. gonna die now from aliens so Clever. uh yeah <laughs> uh, fox tried to sue uh ippolito for 10 million dollars for using alien in the film's title but a british lawsuit pointed out that there was already a novel from the 1930s called alien and thus the case was dismissed so oh my the gosh. unofficial That's the stupidest reason <laughs> alien is a word it just means al god <laughs> yeah can you really copyright a word like that <laughs> I, I apparently you can't yeah so this unauthorized unofficial sequel is allowed to call itself the second movie in the alien franchise 
Did you hear about why they called this one Aliens? I don't know if this is really true or not, but I saw this story no. somewhere. Um, apparently, while James Cameron was writing this movie or while he was pitching it or something, he wrote Alien on the board, and then the S, he wrote a dollar sign. Um, <laughs> <laughs> aliens with money, Okay, honestly, though, that would be perfect. I feel like that would actually work with the themes of this film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, okay well that's all of our easter eggs and uh it's been a long time since i've asked you this question joey but i believe you know uh what time it is it is time for us to go a little deeper deeper, deeper. okay so um there was an article published in 1985 in the new york times where they interviewed um james cameron about um alien aliens i'm gonna say alien too now that you got that in my head um about <laughs> aliens um and uh so he said this, although he described aliens as a straightforward story about a group of U.S. Marines 200 years in the, in the future, he said that his story works on one level as an allegory for Vietnam. The movie, he said, will pit high-tech soldiers against an unseen, wraith-like enemy. Um, so it's my opinion that all speculative fiction stories reflect the present and assumptions about the present by their authors, whether intentional or not. And aliens represent the unknown or simply the foreign. I mean, aliens generally, and, you know, the concept of an alien, um, which brings us to a, a pr some pretty nasty ideas of what these aliens in this movie represent. The aliens are black, for example, and according to the lore Cameron has added, they reproduce at an alar alarming rate, like insects or fish, which uh, if you're familiar with your racism history, <laughs> you know, that is a classic uh, example of, you know, indigenous people or anyone who is quote-unquote uncivilized. Yeah, well, when the uh, the Marines are jawing with a, each other, one of the Marines makes a joke towards Vasquez that uh the aliens like they're like oh we don't mean like illegal aliens like you right and i was like this far in the future illegal <laughs> immigration by mexicans is still like a colloquial uh you know subject yeah yeah i was i was surprised the u.s was still around <laughs> Like it's we like, survived this this far into the future, I did, can't believe it. Uh, that to um, me that just seemed hilarious because it was like this is a joke that people in the current moment that this movie is made will understand, but doesn't really make sense in the con like context of a yes. interplanetary uh, like species. <laughs> exactly. So to compare the plight of the humans and aliens to the Vietnam War is to completely dehumanize the native Vietnamese that fought against an invading force there to disrupt and destroy them. Aliens is in no way seeking to humanize its antagonists. If anything, it doubles down on the aliens' inhumanity, making them distinct from us. You know, they're a scary thing about nature, right? They're the reason we shouldn't be going to space, the reason why we shouldn't be messing with forces we don't understand. So the allegory is certainly there, right? But for me, it's weak and gross. It perhaps captures the feeling of fighting a losing war, um, one where we should not have been a part of from the beginning. And the aliens in this movie play a smaller part in the ideological conflict between the company and the people that it employs. You could say the aliens are pawns for larger forces, maybe, uh, similar to how the Vietnamese were used as pawns by China and the U.S. to fight an ideological war. Um, but for me, any story that seeks to explore that event, the Vietnamese War, needs to uh, address and show some deference to the people most hurt by it 
namely the people of Vietnam. So I'm just going to say on this one, James Cameron. (laughs) Show us an allegory of Vietnam. (laughs) Great answer. Great answer. Great answer. Great answer. Great answer. Yeah, I like I was saying earlier, I didn't get that at all. It definitely has something to do with me being like not great at history that comes basically after World War II. I feel like all of my history classes were like, and then after World War II, we got to 2001. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and then the greatest crime against humanity has ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I totally agree um, to, to, to say that uh, the aliens would represent the Vietnamese people would be to say that the Vietnamese people would be to say a lot of terrible things about the Vietnamese people, right. which is to- I, yeah, pretty unfair. I mean, from, yeah, you know, in like from the perspective of an American, sure. Right. You've got this like terrifying war that's happening overseas. Right. And people are dying in horrible ways, but it's, it, there's, there's always a, there's always this deference to America, what's happening to American lives and not to the lives of the people in the war. Right, um, those are those are always distinct for some reason. So, um, yeah, I, I, and I wasn't sure about this really. I was like, I was going to kind of give Cameron the benefit of the doubt on this, but then he literally stated like, "Oh yeah, this is about the Vietnam War," which you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe just keep that to yourself. But um, it's uh, you know, I I don't like that it goes in this direction, and it it makes me feel similar things to the bad guys in True Lies, right? Which were a, a um, ethnic monolith, right, used as a prop uh, without any sort of thought about what that might imply for a wider range or how that might be viewed in the future. Um, you know, because uh, history doesn't stop. This this shit's moving, Ruth, as George Carlin says. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is going to bring our discussion on aliens to a close, as we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat. We will now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to aliens? I give this movie Alien Omelets Over Easy. (laughs) Fire Roasted. Disgusting. (laughs) Oh, I can't imagine eating those things. Maybe. What if that was the reason that the uh, the company wanted them to bring it back? It's like, can you imagine the omelets? We could charge a hundred dollars for an all star special at a at Waffle House if we can right. serve these eggs. At Space Waffle House. <laughs> They're always open. They never close. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I am going to give this movie five flamethrowers uh, and the cigar that Sergeant Abe Hone was chomping on uh, for as long as he was alive in this movie. I really enjoyed this one. This was freaking awesome. We are on a roll here with movies that are top tier with uh, James Cameron at the helm. Uh, and with that, I will ask you what's next on Affable Chat. We're getting close, closer than ever. And the next movie we're doing is Avatar. Oh, yes. The, uh, I, this one I've, the I've one been talking the to people. people. Yeah, uh, the, not, the Space Pocahontas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've, heard, I've gotten a lot of uh, mixed opinions. I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid. So I, I, don't, I, lo- I do remember being like, wow, as a kid. Uh, but that was, I was also wow at like, a lot of things. So um, I'm interested <laughs> to see how I, I feel about it this time. Um, and then obviously not too far off, we'll have avatar 
uh, to Judgment Day. That's right. Uh, that we'll get to see in the theater. A Avatars. 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 <laughs> Avatars <laughs> 2, Judgment Day. <laughs> uh, which is going to be uh, fantastic. I can't wait. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Applechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. That's where you can find the latest from us and all of our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of which are at AppleChat and even our email address, AppleChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? Affable Chat is live on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash AffableChat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>